Hi everyone, Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us and he has a word for you today, we are sure of it. Take some time out to listen and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. God, I thank you for each and every person here. We never take it for granted, this opportunity that we have to come and minister together. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person. I also pray that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message today that they can use and make their lives better. God, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but they will be able to use this message and make their lives better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's say our Bible confession. So whatever form your Bible takes, if you don't mind, if you're able, just hold it up. Doesn't have to be super high. Just hold it up and let's say this confession together. Ready? Let's go. This is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God breathed and I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable, it is the truth, it is divine, it is the word of God and shall forever be to me my Bible. Jesus name amen now but before we get to our first image recall I told you that I had two Smith stories locked and loaded for you both having to do with cars now I'm gonna go ahead and inject before I give you that second Smith story about cars I'm gonna inject something that happened this morning this morning I was focused on something for the message today and my wife comes in and she's got her music playing on her phone and it's some of that pumping gospel and she's she's kind of got like a little bot working you know so she's like yeah she's okay baby you're ready I said I'm almost ready said, okay so she's still standing behind me she's bopping I'm trying to focus though and so what I do is I ask her just to give me a minute but don't just, don't stand there and give me, actually leave out and just leave me in the room by myself. Now, why do I tell you that? Because in, 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 in reflection, the way I said it was not the best way I should have said it. So what I did this morning and on the way here is I looked her in the eye and I told her I apologized. That was not my intent. I didn't mean to, 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 to rattle your joy. I didn't mean to interrupt. And I want you to be happy. You look wonderful. And I apologize. Now, why am I going through that again today? Because it's an example. Yes, sir. It's an example that the moment you realize that you've done something you shouldn't, that is the moment to make the correction. And I made that correction because she's worth it to me. 
I made that correction because her heart is worth it to me. I told her once that there are many times that you say things to me, and knowing how I grew up, I want to express myself <laughs> loudly. Because I, I, I grew up a country boy, and my people just talk loud. But then I told her, but I don't. The truth is, even though I want to say something, I love you enough to control my tongue for you. So the quick insert here is the best time, the most opportune time, to make a correction is the moment you realize there is something that needs correcting. All right, now my Smith story about the car. All of you know me, and after you've known me for a particular amount of time, you can tell that by nature I have a sense of being a detailed-oriented guy. Well, we recently bought our new vehicle. Let me get that. I don't just go in the lot and pick out a color. Nope. I think about what I want, and then I think about how many makers make what I want, and then I weed those out based on, if I'm going to spend a lot of money, your junk can't be breaking all the time, so you can't be in my garage. If you don't got good customer service, I don't need it. If you got a lot of recalls, I don't need it. And so I go through a lot of little check marks. I finally decided what to get, and I got it in September, around Labor Day. Breathing in new car smell. I'm on my way in the new ride. Everybody say new ride. In the new ride, got Greta in the passenger seat. And now keep in mind, Greta, sometimes Greta gets in what I call the phone zone. That means if she's reading something, if she's watching something, you might be in the same room with her, but it's her and her phone. And so at this time, she's riding, I'm driving, but I don't mind because the, the day is beautiful. The, the music we got on is pumping, and I got new car smell. On my way to see my daughter, we get to a stoplight, make a right turn, and from behind me, a gentleman in like a little dragster car, you can hear the engine, you hear him rev up because apparently he needs to go faster than everybody else. So I probably have made that right turn I don't know, maybe a second or two, I hear the person gun it, and in the back of my rear view, I see them jerk around me, and they whoosh, wish by me, and as they wish by me, they kick up a stone, and it hits my windshield. Bam! I ain't had this rascal for a month yet. It hits my windshield, and that's one of my Smith stories. So let me show you this image. It hits my windshield. 
And that thing had me 38 hot. I was hotter than fish grease at the reunion. I'm talking, I was warm. Boy, I was mad. I don't cuss, but what I said in my head against that driver, it might as well have been cussing. I'm telling you, I was mad. I was so, so mad. And here is what ticked me off more. Greta on her phone. And you know, have you ever had something? I mean, it hit the car, it hit the car so loud. It sounded like a gunshot. It was like, bam. Greta on the phone, it hits. She looks up from her phone, looks at me, and says, oh well, and then goes back to her phone. I'm like, oh well, H, I said that in my head, oh well H, they just broke my windshield, I just got this car. It's an SUV, you know, it's, it, it, I just got this thing. My emotions went from everything is right with the world to I'm just madder than mad. And my countenance for the day just changed. We got to my daughter's house. Everybody had to know what I was feeling. Not only that, I began to even so I'm so mad. I began to second guess why I even came to my daughter's house. If I hadn't come over here, the man wouldn't have passed me. If I hadn't taken that road, the man wouldn't have passed me. If I had waited 30 minutes, Greta wanted me to go over there, I could have waited a little longer. I would have missed that car all together. I'm talking about I didn't wrote this thing such that the world is against me. I was warm. Everybody had to know it. You know what happened though? In my warmness, I don't know how many hours later, but I ended up having to go back outside. And as I'm walking towards the vehicle, it's in full view, I'm probably I don't know, it might be a good 30 feet from it or whatever. And I can see that crack. <laughs> then God stops me. And he prompts me to take a look. And then he says something to me. Look at this image. I'm looking at that from this view now as I approach the vehicle. And God says, son, you are focusing on the chip in that windshield. But notice that most of the glass is clear and intact, not fractured. He says, if you reorient your perspective, you will reorient your day. Family, we all have flaws. But often what we specialize in is focusing on our errors 
and our imperfections instead of the good qualities that we have in more abundance. If we stop putting our focus on the single things that we are or the single things that we are in error or done wrong and realize that we have more good in abundance, if we change our perspective on ourselves, we will change the way we view ourselves. If you change your perspective, you will change your day. A lot of times you look at your child and you're focusing on the imperfection when there are so many more good things about your child. If you reorient your perspective concerning your child, you'll reorient your day and your attitude towards your child. You can look at your spouse and you can identify certain things about them that you wish were better when if you took another perspective, potentially you would find that there are a host of other things good. And if you reorient your perspective, you reorient your day. Amen? Amen. Family, let's get to the, let's get, that's the Smith story for that. Let's get, let's get to this. Now, the peace within is the series that we're talking about. And family, we have settled in on a sub-series called The Door. Jesus said in John 10, he said, I am the door, meaning that he is the pathway or the door to God. In addition to that, though, instead of just directly saying, I am the door, he said something else in John 14. He said this, the easy to read version, John 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father is through me. Those bolded, underlined words, I want you to say those with me on three. Ready? One, two, three. The only way is through me. The only way is through me. So it's clear that there might be some other doors out there, but the main door, the door to God, that door runs through or is Jesus. He's the only door to God. Knowing that he's the door to God and combining that with you and I as believers having the responsibility to lead or guide others to Christ or to the door, that makes you and I the door to the door. And being the door to the door, God can send our doors to one of two general destinations. Here they are. He can send our door to a familiar place or an unfamiliar place. We've already talked about the familiar place. And we are on round two of talking about the unfamiliar place. In round one of the unfamiliar place, we talked about Abram, who God eventually changed the name, his name to Abraham. 
And we said, when God asks you to leave a familiar place where you come from or where you're comfortable at and go to an unfamiliar place, that that can it can be challenging because you have to get yourself used to a little level of uncomfortability because you're leaving all the stuff that you know. And even if what you're leaving as familiar is not good, it can still be scary because when you're leaving bad familiar to go to the unfamiliar, believe it or not, it can be scarier to go into the unknown than to walk away from bad familiar. So in many, in many regards, people will be willing to stay in bad situations than taking a chance on God and walking out into the unknown. We also use that opportunity to say this. When you are pursuing what God called you to do, don't think for one minute that God has forgotten about you. God is not sending you on a mission and treating you like an expendable piece in a game of chess that he's having against the kingdom of darkness. He's not considering you to be just expendable. No, God cares about you. And along the way, you need to know that God cares about you and not allow yourself to begin to think God just cares about the mission and he don't care about me. Right. We launch into round two with that thought in mind that God is not just thinking about the mission, that God cares about you. This round, we're going to talk about a few things. And those things are going to be anchored in the book of Numbers. When we go through them, please take the notes that are appropriate to you. I know many of you take notes, but today in particular, as I say things, whatever piece pricks your heart, be sure to grab it today. The book of Numbers contains the first account of the children of Israel being on the brink of entering into the promised land. Moses has led them out of Egypt, and they are now camped in close proximity of the promised land. As they camp there, God begins to give Moses some instructions. Here we go, Numbers 13. Easy to read, and we will be, I believe, in the easy to read version for the balance of the day. Numbers 13, verses 1 through 2. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan. And we pause right there. 
Remember when we, in, when, we in, when we were in round one, we said God told to Abram, I want you to get out of here. Leave your kindred, leave your country, and go to a land or place that I will send you. Later on in, in that text, it says that he was going to Canaan, but Abram did not know he was going to Canaan. Here, though, God says specifically where to go. So whatever God is getting ready to say, it is clear that the destination is Canaan. You may ask, well, pastor, if they know the destination is Canaan, why are we talking about this account in the category or group of unfamiliar places? There is a reason for that. The reason for that is this. Even though they know the destination, the expectation or the knowledge of what to expect when they get to that destination is still unknown. They don't know what they're going to experience when they get there. They know the destination but the experience still has a question mark on it. And because the experiences or the expectations of what they will experience or do or, or, or what they will come across when they get there, if that's still an unknown, that categorizes it for me as an unfamiliar place. Let's go to the keep going. Now, here we are. We're going to back up. And now Numbers 13, verses 1 through 16, you know the drill. When you see scripture on the screen and some of the text is really, really tiny, we are not going to touch that. It is just shown so that you can see in total that we're pulling it out of a certain passage. And to put it in your notes, go through and read it all for yourself. But starting back at verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan. I will give this land to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 tribes. So Moses obeyed the Lord's command. Now he's going to send 12 men. Of those 12 men, I want two names to stick out for you. Verse 6, it says, from the tribe of Judah, Caleb. That's one of the men. Verse 8 says, from the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea was the next one. Now, who is Hosea? It clarifies it in verse 16. These are the names of the men Moses sent to look at and study the land. Moses called Hosea, son of Nun, by another name. Moses called him Joshua. So 12 men... Two of them we've picked out, one named Caleb, the other named Joshua. There are certain things we want to break down here. First of all, verse 2 ends up, it begins with God saying to Moses, send some men to explore. That word explore there is not necessarily the common word that people use when they talk about this account. 
they don't say that God sent men out to explore or God sent men out to scout. They use a different word. They say God sent men out to spy. And the reason they do that is because many translations don't use a variation of explore or scout. It uses a variation of the word to spy. Look at this image. I looked at over 50 English translations of the Bible. And of those, about half use either the word spy or mention spies. Why does the word spy there fit, though? I love that word. Because spy really translates, in my opinion, really the spirit of what God was having them to do. To spy means that God wants you to be covert. That's right, that's right. He wants you to go in under the radar. That's right. He wants you to be hush-hush. Right. He don't want you to make a bunch of noise and draw attention to yourself. Right. He wants you to do it secretly. He wants you to go in under, on the low. So when God wanted these men to go into the land, he wanted them to go in there in as incognito a manner as possible. Even the e easy to read version that we are reading from today, even though they don't use the word spy in the text, the heading says the spies go to Canaan. So it's the spirit of, of them going to spy. That's why Commonly, these 12 men are referred to in teachings and preachings as the 12 spies. I want to share something with you, though. Because God here is sending out a group. I want you to go back up, go back up to me for the, for the scripture, the previous one. It says here, send one leader from each of the 12, the, each of the 12 tribes. See that? Okay, now go down for me. One of the things we want you to know is this. God is sending these men as a group. And sending the men as a group, family, we know from Abram that sometimes God will send an individual. Send one person. Granted, Abram took people with him, but God was talking to him. Even when we talk about Moses, he sent Aaron with Moses, but really when he started off, he was just talking to Moses. Sometimes, apparently, God will send people in a group to do things. And when God sends people in a group, there's something about that 
that you should know. Say, what is that, Pastor? I'm going to tell you right after this. Go back up. Just keep these tidbits in your head. Now, when he said he's going to send these 12 men, he's not just telling Moses to go walk through the crowd and get me some people. No. God tells him there are qualifications. A specific qualification means that the person is supposed to be a leader. When the person is supposed to be a leader, that implies something. A leader implies you got a certain courage. A leader implies that you got a certain exemplary character. A leader implies that you think a certain way. A leader implies that you have influence. A leader implies that you, if nobody else, got hold of the vision. A leader. So what God is sending out are a group of people that are supposed to exemplify leadership. Amen. What we're going to learn shortly, though, is that even though all of these men have the label of leader, even though all these men profess the same God, they don't believe the same. They don't believe the same. And God is sending them out in group. Loved ones, there are times in your life where when it comes to fulfilling the call of God on your life, you will fulfill that call or be in the process of fulfilling that call in concert with others. And when you find yourself in that place, there is something I want you to remember. And we are going to read that together. Go down. Fulfilling the call with others. Ready? Let's read. There are times in your life when you may find yourself fulfilling the call of God in concert with others. In those moments, it is not enough for you all to just look the part. When you are supposed to be fulfilling the call of God for your life and you're walking hand in hand with others, it is not good enough for you all to just look the part. It's not good enough for you all just to possess the same label. It's not good enough for you all to just possess the same title. You all got to believe the same. It's not good enough for you all to just read the Bible. You all got to believe what you read. It's not good enough for you all just to speak the word. You all got to believe that there are, there's power in the words that you speak. It's not good enough for you all to pray. You all have to believe that your prayers are answered. 
You got to believe that God hears your prayer. You got to believe that there is power in your prayer. You got to believe that the prayers of yours, because you're righteous, have dynamite working power. You got to believe that prayer changes things. It's not good enough for each and every one of you to believe that God can. You got to believe that he can and that he will because he is a rewarder of those who. You got to all believe the same. It's not enough for you all to just look the part. Appearing ready ain't good enough. You can't have some that's really about it and some that's just playing a role. It's not about wearing a mask. If you're going to be on the pathway, on a co-mission with God, with other people accompanying you, they got to be ready. God says send out 12 leaders. All of these men are supposed to be ready. Find out shortly, very soon we're going to learn that they're really wearing a facade. And that that facade is going to come crumbling down. You have to be a believer. When God touches you on the shoulder, you can't be wearing a mask. Appearing ready is not enough, uh, uh, especially in the unfamiliar. Look at here. I might be able to take some of your tied, slack, not ready foolishness if I'm in the familiar. When I know my surroundings. When I got history here. But when you and I are standing in the unfamiliar, I need you more. When I don't know what's going on around me, I, I need you to be real. When I don't know who my players are, I need you to be real. When I don't know what's coming against me, I need you to be real. It's not good enough for you to just look the part, but especially when I'm going to the unfamiliar. When we are hand in hand, or supposedly hand in hand, walking into the unfamiliar, it's not good enough for you to just look the part. But we're going to find out that these 12 spies that Moses sent, some of them are just looking the part. Here we go. Numbers 13, verses 17 through 20 in the easy to read. Was sending, am I, do I keep cutting out? I thought so. So let me start over again. When Moses was sending them out to explore Canaan, so they know where they're going, he said, Go to Negev and then into the hill country. See what the land looks like. 
Learn about the people who live there. Are they strong or are they weak? Are they few or are there many? Learn about the land that they live in. Is it good land or bad land? What kind of towns do they live in? Do the towns have walls protecting them? Are the towns strongly defended? And learn other things about the land. Is the soil f good for growing things or is it poor soil? Are there trees on the land? Try to bring back some of the fruit from the land. This was during the time when the first grapes should be ripe. Verse 17, family, begins with us reiterating that God has given them a specific destination. What is it about that that we want to highlight? Knowing that Canaan, we still have in the category of the unfamiliar, family notice what God tells them to do. God tells them to go see and learn about it. Loved ones, when God clues you in on your destination, when God clues you in on the commission, when God clues you in on the assignment, get your behind in gear and get up and go see. When God clues you in about the task at hand, get your behind in gear and go learn. If God has called you, if you say God has called you, if you profess that God has called you to reach the homeless, get your tail up and go see who the homeless are. Get yourself up and go see and learn about how the homeless live. Go learn about who they are. If you say that God has called you to reach the abused, then get yourself up and go see. Go see how the abused live. Go see who the abused are. Don't tell me that you say God has called you to do something and he has identified the destination to you. He has identified the mission and you won't get off your lazy behind and go see. And you won't get up and go learn. You say God has called you to reach the poor, then get up and go see. Go see who the poor are. Go see how the poor live. Go learn about them. Get up and go. Once God clues you in to what your calling is, get up and go see. Wait a minute now. Are you telling me that God wants you to go and reach the youth? Get up and go see. Who are the youth? How do they live? Learn about them. What do they need? When God clues you in to your destination, get up and go see. And that's not just about God's mission. Because remember, what we're saying is God, when it comes to God's mission, he don't care more about the mission than you. So God obviously has things that you are supposed to be doing to better yourself, to be better for the mission. 
you say God called you or nudged you or whispered or, or you felt in your spirit that God called you to be a nurse. When was the last time you got up and went and see what a nurse do? When was the last time you got up and you learned about who nurses are? When was the last time you got up and you learned about what it takes to become one? You say God called you to be married. When was the last time you got up and see who married people are? When was the last time you learned about what it means to be married? When did you, when did you study that for yourself? When was the last time you did that? Oh, you say God wants you to be a parent. You're supposed to be a mama. You're supposed to be a daddy. When was the last time you got up and went to see who parents are? When was the last time you took the time to go learn about what, parent, what parenting really means and what you got to do to be a parent? You say God called you to, 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 to be an author? When was the last time you took the time to go out and see about what it takes to be an author? When was the last time you took the time to go out and see what it means to be an author? When was the last time you took the time to figure out how you can go even publish something? You say God called you. If God called you and he shows you the destination, the intention is for you to get up and go see. You say God wants you to do what? Oh, 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 God wants you to open a business. Well, when was the last time you got up and you went to see how people run the kind of business that you're talking about, you're talking about owning? When was the last time you took the time to go learn about it? Huh? 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 When was the last time? You say God called you to be a performer. When was the last time you took the time to go see about how those kind of people live? How those kind of people do what they do? You say God called you to be a pro athlete. Really? When was the last time you figured out some time to go check on what you need to do to be that kind of athlete? Whenever God gives you an image of what your purpose is, an image of what your calling is, an image of what your destination is, you are supposed to get up and go see. Get up and go see. Being consistently efficient, effective, and productive and what God called you to do requires, everybody say required. Required. Requires you to master your craft. Master your craft. Not just play with it. Master it. And you will never master your craft. You will never master your skill. You will never master what you're supposed to do if you don't get out and see what it means to be it. You will never master it if you don't take the time to get out and learn about it. And get this. While you're out learning about it, don't be so tunnel vision that you forget while you're learning, you also have the opportunity to look, learn about other things. 
Well, real quick, back on the nursing. It's not enough for you to go and just learn about what it means to be a nurse. It's not enough for you to just figure out what it takes to become one. Learn other things about the land. How vast is the career? How many people can I impact? What does it mean to me in my future? Who can I network with? Don't just be so focused on it. Let me give you another example. It just popped into my head. Sometimes pro athletes, they get so tunnel vision on the specific thing of being an athlete that they don't realize that the sports industry is vast. And the best ones do it such that when they're doing it, they increase their popularity. They don't tank their name so that when they are doing the thing, they are also benefiting from having learned the other things. They get endorsements. They get TV deals. They get movie deals. They get book deals. They create products. They learn about it. In the music industry, the best of them realize keep the license and copyright for your own music. The best of them realize if you can begin to become a producer, then you get a slice of all the slices. The best ones realize that it's bigger than just singing. Here, here's another secret. The best ones realize I might not can't sing a lick, but I can write a song that other people can sing. Some of the most wealthy to-do people are people who write songs. They can't sing, but you know what? They fat with their pockets because everybody's singing their songs. And you know what's the best part about their life? You don't know who they are. They can, they can walk in Walmart and you don't know they got $80 million in the bank because all them top 100 songs, they wrote 10% of them. Those people learned they didn't just focus on a specific thing. They learned about the land. When God clues you in, we said that the land of Canaan was a familiar destination because they knew the name, but it was unfamiliar because they didn't know what to expect. Right? What this is doing is putting them in the process to make the unfamiliar less unfamiliar. Many times what we will do is God will tell us to do something. We've never done it before. We've never been there before. We've never experienced before. And so fear comes in and says, don't do that. But if you took this step, every time you learn about what God wants you to do, you take a little bit of the unfamiliarity out of the unfamiliar. And you get courage. 
God called you to do something in particular, and you look and you say to yourself, how do I get it done? But as you begin to go see, as you begin to go learn, you begin to get insights. And those insights begin to make the unfamiliar more familiar. And notice what he said. Don't just go out and spy. Try to bring back some fruit. What's that mean? Bring back some motivation. Bring back some encouragement. Bring back some spoils. Bring back some stuff that will get you up in the morning when you don't want to. Bring back some stuff that'll keep you going when you fall down. Bring back some fruit. When you are out and about, exploring what God wants you to do, you are supposed to be using that exploration to bring back fruit so that when you get ready to actually get started, you already geared up because you know the blessing that's waiting for you in the promised land. By the way, that's what Canaan is. They're promised land. God says, I want you, tell them to go see and learn about the unfamiliar. I put something here, and I'll be honest with you, I thought about whether or not I was going to share it. It's something that another pastor said, but it kept coming back up and kept coming back up, so I think it fits. So I'm going to share it because when God is saying to go see and go learn, what we do as a group of believers, and this is, I say that in general sense, if it's not you, don't be offended. But what we do as a general body of believers, we think that just because God called us to a particular place or a particular role or a particular task or a particular assignment that we automatically going to be it without taking the time to go learn, without taking the time to go see. We, we, we think we're just going to learn it, but it doesn't happen automatically. It don't happen automatically. Let me tell you something that I tell my children. Many times in life, it's not about what you want. It's about what you're willing to work for. I want to be in the will of God. Are you willing to work for it? Get this. Now, that, that's, that's touchy for people because you don't have to work for this. They'll tell you, it's a free gift. You don't have to work for it. God has graced you in a certain way. That's not what I'm talking about. I am not talking about working for salvation. But let me give it to you in a manner that many of you who've been with the ministry for a long period of time will understand. 
Child, I almost tripped. She was got more grip than I thought. I'll put it this way. A great man once said, if you want to get people into the kingdom, give them a better offer than the devil. So what I'm saying is this. If you think you're going to put something out front in God's name in a half behind way and do the devil out when he puts his product out in excellence, you're wrong. So it's not about what you want. Yeah, you want people to come to God's side, but are you willing to work to put a product in front of them that's better than what the devil's offering? It ain't about what you want. It's about what you're willing to work for. Because things don't come and happen automatically. A little shoebox for me. I'm going to get on a little, a little shoebox. I'm not going to stay on there long. I'm going to get off quickly. Thinking that things should come automatically is something, and gosh, please hear my heart, because I love, I love, I love my generations of people. But we've come through a generation that feels like things are due them automatically. without wanting to work for anything. Okay, I get it, my brother. What you do is good. But you want somebody to hand you the success that you see online. Those people didn't get there by letting somebody hand them something. They put in the work. That's why you're watching them and they're not watching you. You see, what you don't see is you don't see that three jobs while they was getting that up and going. They missed sleep while they was getting that up and going. They didn't buy the new phone. They put that money in equipment while they was up and going. They didn't complain about people not giving them anything. They rolled up their sleeves and they got to work. Things don't just happen automatically. And if they ever do, I guarantee that's so rare. And if you get a blessing automatically, but you don't know how to treat it. If you if you get put somewhere and when you get put there, you haven't learned and you haven't saw and you haven't researched. I feel for you or for the people who are supposed to be with you yes. or looking up to you. Right. They don't happen automatically. Things don't. But anyway, here we go. That's my quick soapbox. Here is what this pastor said. Just keeping in line with things don't happen automatically. Go to my next image. Now, I'm going to paraphrase this. I'm going to say the pastor said 
but no, it's going to be in my word. So it's the spirit of what the pastor said. The pastor was talking about good parenting is not automatic. He was saying that like, you don't just automatically know how to become a good parent. He said, birthing a baby don't automatically make you a good parent. But people think that that's supposed to be the case. Then he slid into this verbiage. He said, even having an experience with a thing does not mean you can do or be that thing. Here's what he went on to say. When parenting is the topic, many people think that just because they had parents, they know how to be parents. But just because you had parents don't mean you know how to be one. He went on to say, many people think that just because they grew up and they were a child, they know how to raise one. No, just because you once were a child, it does not mean you know how to raise one. Then he finished with this. He said, let me prove it to you. He said, I had surgery once. And then he paused. And it took people a minute, but they started to laugh. Let me, let me clue you in what he said. In, his, in effect, he was saying, I had surgery once, but that experience of having surgery does not qualify me to be a surgeon. It doesn't happen automatically. You got to take the time to master your craft. You have to master it. You have to take the time to get out and learn and to see. It don't happen automatically. A mere experience does not make you it. It takes work. Just because you hold a pot in your hand, it don't make you a chef. Just because you cook in your kitchen, it does not mean you can run a restaurant. Because you dribble a ball, that don't make you NBA material. It don't. Because you slip on a pair of running shoes, you ain't ready for the Olympics. Because you can preach a sermon, it don't make you a pastor. It don't. Just having an experience with something doesn't necessarily make you it. You got to be willing to work for it. God sent, or Moses sent under God's instruction, 12 men. 12 men. And these 12 men all had the label, but oh my goodness, 
They weren't all the same. Go back up for me. Here we are. God says, I want you to go out and see the land. We see the instruction, and you're supposed to go, see, and learn, and you try to bring back some fruit. Go to Numbers 18, thir- uh, Numbers 13, verse 18. Two images down. Okay, that's good. Yeah, I, I skipped that one, because here we go. Once again, that's a small text, but what I want you to read, this is, Numbers 13, verses 21 through 26, just the big stuff. It says, verse 21, so they went to explore the country. Verse 25, the men explored that country for 40 days. So they did it. Mm -hmm. Next one. Verse 27, right? Here we go, family. Verse 27, the men told Moses, we want the land where you, we, we told Moses, we went to the land where you sent us. It is a land filled with many good things. Here is some of the fruits that grow there, but the people living there are very powerful. The cities are very large and strongly defended. We even saw some, and they list a whole bunch of people. Verse 30, Caleb told the people near Moses to be quiet. Then Caleb said, we should go up and take the land for ourselves. We can easily take the land. But the men who had gone with him said, we cannot fight those people. They are much stronger than we are. So those men gave a report that discouraged the people. They said, the land we saw is full of strong people. They are strong enough to easily defeat anyone who goes there. We saw the giants of Nephilim, of, of Nephilim, people there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We felt like little grasshoppers. Yes, we were like grasshoppers to them. These people are saying, don't go. We can't win. Caleb says, be quiet. Let's go. We can easily take the land. Now, we learn later when we get to Numbers 14, we're not going there, but that Caleb and Joshua are on the same page. So two of the 12 are in sync. The other 10 are not. The other 10 want to quit before they get started. The other 10 want to throw in the towel. The other 10 want to leave. The under 10 don't want to follow through. Loved ones, when you're doing a task with God, especially in the unfamiliar, and you're doing it in a group, this is a common reality. It's a common reality. That common reality. Next image. The common reality is the people in your group will tell you we will stay by your side. The people in your group will tell you We are with you. They'll tell you we ain't going nowhere. They'll tell you we your, their terminology, we your ride or die. They'll tell you we down like four flats. 
They'll tell you, I'm with you to the end. They will tell you that until, until they see the opposition, the opposition you might face. Until they see the challenges you might face. Until they see the trouble you might face. Until they see the real work you got to put in. Or when they see that, now they want to quit. Now they want to back out. Now they want to leave. But I thought we were all leaders. I thought we all had the same label. I thought we all had the same commitment. I thought we all had the same devotion. I thought we had all had the same passion. But when they see the challenge, the opposition, the work, the trouble, they want to leave. The answer, the answer is, it happens sometimes. If you're wanting to know if this is a common reality, yes, it happens sometimes. It happens often. Because the people that are with you that you think are at a certain level, you end up seeing who they really are when pressure shows up, yes, sir. when opposition shows up. When you really need them to be on their game, you find out they ain't got no game. Two of the 12 were ready. Ten of the twelve not ready. Family, where do you stand? When God tells you, informs you, instructs you to do something, are you part of the two or are you part of the twelve? A part of the ten, thank you. Are you part of the ten? Thank you. I, I appreciate. Thank you. Tell me when I say stuff like that. Don't, don't let it be recorded wrong. <laughs> that, tell me you're listening. <laughs> are you part of the two? Or are you part of the ten? Ten. Are you gonna back away? <laughs> are you gonna be? someone who sees a challenge and want to quit? Do you see the trouble in opposition and want to quit? Do you see how much real work goes into it and want to quit? Or are you a person that's going to say we can do it? The question is, where does your answer converge? Does it converge on God, I can do it? Or does it converge on I can't do it? Go back up to the first image, the next image, the previous image. I want you to notice something here. Because your answer to where do you really stand converges on the same thing that it converges on here. It converges on your we. Say we. W-E. W -E, that's right. It converges on your we. Notice, Caleb says we should go up. 
Caleb said, we should go take. Caleb says, we can easily take. Other people are also saying we. They're saying we cannot. They're saying that they are stronger. They're saying that they are many. We can't. They're saying they are powerful. We can't. They're both saying we, but they're two different we's. The 10 are comparing the trouble, the opposition, the challenge, the work against themselves alone. Joshua and Caleb are not comparing it to themselves alone. They're comparing it to themselves plus God. So when they, Joshua and Caleb, look at they, those other people, what they are saying is we can. Why can they say we can? Because, okay, they know the report. They were there. Okay, those people are powerful. But with God, my we is more powerful than they. Oh, wait. There are many of them. But with God, my we is more than their they. Oh, oh yeah. They are strong. But with God, my we is stronger. Oh, wait, wait. We were like grasshoppers. They are big. But with God, my we is bigger. Joshua and Caleb are talking about a different we. And the we that they're talking about, their commitment to God, their confidence in God says this. They realize that the God of the familiar also follows them into the unfamiliar. That's right. That's right. Good point. The same God that's with them in the familiar yes. is the same God that's with them in the unfamiliar. Yes, they have confidence. Yes, God if he is a protector in the familiar, yes, sir. he is also a protector in the unfamiliar. Say it. Say it. Provider in the familiar. Mm -hmm. Provider in the unfamiliar. Strong tower in the familiar. Still a strong tower in the unfamiliar. Good shepherd in the familiar. Still good shepherd in the unfamiliar. Healer in the familiar. Still a healer in the unfamiliar. Delivering the familiar, still delivering the unfamiliar. Waymaker in the familiar, still a waymaker in the unfamiliar. Very familiar, still there in the unfamiliar. Peace in the familiar, still peace in the unfamiliar. It's the same God, so we can. 
in your life the same thing. When God sends you somewhere, he has always been your provider in the familiar. And because he cares about you, he going to be your provider in the unfamiliar. When you step out with God into the unfamiliar, he's going to still be your protector, your provider, your strong tower, your healer, your way maker, your peace, your good shepherd. He's still going to be all those things. That's what they know. That's why they can stand strong. That's why they can say we can go get it. That's why they say, let's move forward. It happens when you're in groups. That the wheat and the tares ultimately get separated. At some point, you're going to find out who's real and who's not. In all of this, go down one, one image. I want you to look at that, and I want you to listen to me while I talk. Family, the children of Israel complain and complain and complain. Eventually, what we learn is by the time we get to chapter 14 and get through it, that God eventually denies the original ones who exited Egypt, he denied them entry into the promised land. Only two of the originals were able to go, Joshua and Caleb. Even Moses got so upset that he struck a rock and disqualified himself. They were so much of a faithless, complaining, griping people that God eventually said enough. And they were denied entry into his promise. What insight can we gain from that? Family, as church people, we like to sing about we serve the God of a second chance. We do. I've said that term before. I've heard it sung before. But the truth is, being slack, being lazy, not one to put in the work, complaining, griping, being disobedient. We make the assumption that God will continually and infinitely give us a reset on the call that he's put on our life. Now, we know it's up to God. But it's very possible that after some period of time, 
you run out of second chances for the mission. How many times does God need to give you a second chance before you decide that you're going to put in the work necessary to fulfill the mission that he's called you to do? I mean, he's the God of a second chance. And we say, and of a third chance, and of a fourth chance, and of a sixth chance. Well, doggone, how many chances he got to give you? And I know what the Bible says. I know that Jesus said, if you forgive a brother 70 times, seven times in a day. But if you were a real Christian with your Bible, you know that, that don't, that's not how it always works with God and, your, and what he asked you to do. It's not just infinite. There may come a time, it's up to him, where he says, I've dealt long enough with you. Let's let somebody else do it. But your second chances. How many times, how many second chances do you need? God says, enter into the unfamiliar. He says it one time, five times, eight times. How many chances do you need? Let me bring it home to you. Because it also has to do with your personal life. All of that talk was to get this comment here to hit home for your personal life. It's not just about the mission. Here we go. Talking about, go back up. Talking about multiple second chances. Go back to the second chance image. Multiple second chances. How many second chances does your wife have to give you through her tears and forgive you? For you to take advantage of that second chance and put in the work necessary to be a better husband. How many times does your husband have to forgive you through his tears and give you a second chance? How many second chances do you need before you decide to take the opportunity to put in the work and be a better wife? How many times, tell me, do your children have to forgive you through their tears for you to take that opportunity, for take that chance, that second chance, maybe the third second chance, and put in the work to be a better parent? Tell me, how many times does your friend have to forgive you through their tears for you to take the second chance that you've been given and become a better friend, to put in the work? How many times does your congregation have to forgive you through their tears before you take the second chance that they've given you over and over again and put in the work to be a better pastor? How many times does God have to bring you to the brink of the promised land 
and give you a second chance to enter. There is no guarantee that the second chance that you just spoiled and wasted is not your last second chance. The children of Israel spoiled their second chance, and they had been given many. And eventually, God denied them access. Don't let that be you. Either with the mission he wants you to go on, the calling he has for your life, or in your personal life. Don't just waste your second chances because there's no guarantee you will get them again. Amen. I'm going to close you out with this. Your final image. The same motivational thought. God has not forgotten about you or me, the individual. He does not care. He does not care more about the mission. Can you go back to our last numbers reference? And I'm going to talk while they read. Family, God obviously sent them on a mission. But I want you to know that in, that, in this mission, God did not send them to Canaan just for future generations to benefit. Them going to Canaan had benefits for them. They were going to be able to enjoy the fruit of the land then. Their flocks were going to graze on that good land then. They were going to drink of that clean water then. When God has you on a mission, rest assured that along the way, he's got benefits for you. The land was filled with many good things. They even brought back fruit. God had good prepared for them because God does not only care about the mission. He also cares about his people who are doing the work. And you have to realize that. When God asks you to go to an unfamiliar place, familiar or unfamiliar, but we're talking about unfamiliar. Let's say when God calls you to go to a place, Know that embedded in your effort is growth for you, yes. development for you, yes. and blessings for you. Amen. We put in a lot of work today. Yeah. I thank you for keeping your spirits locked in. The next time we get together, we will take our final trek into unfamiliar places. Today, I want you to leave you with this basic thought. God sends you into the unfamiliar. Don't let it being, it being unfamiliar scare you. Take time to go see and go learn. When you go see and learn, bring back some fruit, some encouragement that's going to keep you going. You might slip and fall, yes, but don't stay there. And be cognizant. When you get a second chance, don't waste it. Yes, sir. 
people that go with you, if they're with you, good. But don't be surprised if they flake out. That's right. That's right. If they do, you stay locked in that you plus God is all you need. God will bring you some other people. You just keep going. God will bring you some other like-minded folks. You just you keep going. I'm not saying you're going to do it by yourself. You don't need nobody. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, but the people that you want with you are people that believe the same. I love you so much. I do. And I will, I, I will tell you this. You're probably saying, Pastor, you put a lot out there today. Let me tell you why. I did something that I rarely do. I looked at the calendar. And I realized we were in November. I realized that we have some Sundays already dedicated to other things. And there is so much that God wants me to get you. He says it has to be in 2023. I said, yes, sir. So I thank you for allowing me this opportunity to share. I love you. Until next time, let's pray. God, we know that You have things for us to do. I pray that we all genuinely want to do exactly what you want us to do. There are times that you send us to familiar places. And there are times that you send us to unfamiliar places. No matter where you send us, you are with us. Give us comfort in that. If it's to an unfamiliar place and we go it alone, I thank you that you have associates and connections already prepared there for us. If it's unfamiliar and we go with the group, God, if it's a group of my choosing or our choosing, Give us the wisdom to choose those who are of like-minded faith. Yes, we want them to have the skill set. Yes, we want them to have the ability. Yes, we want them to have the talent. But we want us to all believe the same. As for second chances, God, we thank you that you are a God of a second chance. And we're not going to waste them. We will take our second chances as the gift that they are. Whatever you've called us to do, whoever you've called us to be, starting right now, we will begin to go see and learn. Guys, just just pray with me. Just pray in your heavenly language. God, God, we know you're in this place. 
We know that you're surround us all the time. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for who you are in our life. I thank you for God just loving us. The Bible says that we love because you first loved. You made us. You know we have feelings and emotions. You know that we get a little frightened sometimes. But Jesus says that he was going to leave us with a peace. And God, that peace is not just the Holy Spirit on the inside, but that peace is something that comes with us understanding and knowing that we can lean on the peace that he left us. God, we just give you all the praise and the glory. <laughs> and it's in Jesus' name. Your son, Jesus' name. God, if there's a family, and within that family, someone in that family has been given a second chance. Let them lay hold of that second chance, God. Someone is given a second chance at life. Let them lay hold of that second chance. <laughs> Just look forward and run with that second chance. Mm. God, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.